0: Welcome to this very special episode of the Craft Industry Alliance Podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. This episode is actually a keynote that took place on the third day of H&H Americas 2023. It's an interview that I conducted live on stage with Justine Tiu, a co-founder of The Woobles, a wonderful crochet amigurumi kit company. And... Justine talks about her experience uh, working at Google for many years and user experience design and how she brought some of those concepts to creating crochet kits. And she talks about a whole lot else. It was a very fun interview. So here we go. Justine, to you from the Woobles. I'm Abby Glassenberg. I'm the co founder of Craft Industry Alliance, the trade association. And I'm very excited to welcome you this morning to a fireside chat with Justine Thieu of the
1: Woobles.
0: (laughs) Justine is co-founder of the Woobles, a company that makes learn-to-crochet kits for complete beginners. Through the Woobles, Justine has taught over 200,000 people how to crochet. Before starting the Boobles, Justine was a user experience designer at Google. Drawing on her background in user research and product design, she creates easy to follow and aesthetically pleasing experiences for the beginner crocheter. This inspirational fireside chat will feature commentary and key learnings from Justine. And I'm very excited to talk with you. So Justine, welcome. Thank you. And before we start, I wanted to show you my WooBull.
2: I love it. I figured if I'm going to interview
0: the founder of the (laughs) WooBulls, I needed to make one. And I'm actually terrible at crochet. So the fact that my teenager looked at it when I was finished and said, it's perfect, is truly a testament to Uh the quality of the instructional videos, which I watched many time over, especially for the Magic Loop. And anyway, he's so cute. So... I love him.
2: Thank you. Yeah. It and it great. was a
0: very good experience with crochet, which awesome. is unusual for me. So. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you.
2: Looks very cute. Thank you.
0: Um, so you actually didn't have like a background in crochet, didn't grow up crocheting, you know, with a parent or something like that. You just learned how to crochet seven years ago. So how did you end
2: up running a crochet based business yeah that's a very good question Uh, also first of all thank you again for (laughs) bringing me here inviting me here and thank you everyone for coming out and hopefully learning some good things from this fireside chat Um, yeah so I picked up crochet seven years ago but as a kid I was always very like arts and crafty I always loved like drawing and making things with my hands at some point like exploring like making websites and Adobe Photoshop and stuff like that so of course when I went to college the logical thing was to major in electrical engineering which I did and then realized along the way that, hey, there's this thing called user-centered design that seems more interesting to me because it kind of tapped into that kind of like making soul. It was like a corporate job, but it was still like you could still make things. and I perhaps the most important thing from college is that's where I met my husband, uh, who is also the other half of the WooBulls now. Um, and yeah, after college, then I, as you mentioned, proceeded to get a job at Google as a user experience designer. So what that means, in case people aren't super familiar with that, is I like to think of user experience designers as like architects of the digital world, in, in a way. So I used to design products like Google Classroom, um, Google Forms, things like that. So user experience designers basically understand how people are using things or like what kind of needs they have related to stuff and then uh, figure out a plan basically of like, all right, how are we gonna create something that actually addresses that problem? Um, cause I think a lot of times people hear the word designer and they think it just means like visual design, how something looks, what color the button is and stuff like that. But it's like one layer deeper, which is why I like to say it's kind of like an architect of the digital world where it's more like, how are people going to flow through this whole thing? What kind of functionality do we need to support and so on? So like the day to day of that is a lot of talking to users, watching them use stuff, looking at data And then using software to figure out, like, to to map out the plan, basically. Um, So I did that for a bunch of years. Loved it. Uh, Was great at it. So then they made me a manager. And then turns out I sucked at being a manager. Um, And I think part of why it, like, really took a toll on my self-confidence and my mental health was it goes back to that whole making aspect of things. Like as a manager, I was no longer making, I couldn't at the end of the day, like point to look at this thing I designed or this thing that I made. It was like, I spent my days doing meetings and not having something tangible. So my mental health took a really big hit that during that time, like I had trouble sleeping, like lost my appetite, like got anxiety, all these things. So that's when I was like, I gotta get my mind off of work. Like, my identity is not work. I need to do something else. And that's how I picked up crochet. Um, so that was one of the many hobbies that I tried out during that time. And one of the things that I really liked about crochet was that, like, the designer in me loves anything that's, like, in the end, it's a simple thing, right? It's like you only need yarn and a hook. And it's basically the same motion over and over again. But you can create so many different things with it. So it's like a simple building block, but then you can make all these beautiful things with it. So I got really into crochet because of that. But then also the experience reminded me that I still have it in me to learn something new. Cause, you know, I spent those years after graduating college, I did transfer and like become a user experience designer. I taught myself how to do that. But ever since I did that, I hadn't really like pushed myself to learn something significantly new. And so I think that's part of why when I became a manager, I was just like stunned. Cause it's like, this is a different skill set. This is something else that you gotta learn. Uh, and I just got like overwhelmed. But then learning to crochet kind of reminded me, hey, I still have it in me to learn something new. Even though, you know, it's crochet, it's not learning how to become world's best manager. It's still just like the baby steps of reminding yourself that like, you can still pick these things up and then it just builds your confidence back a little bit over time. So that's why I learned to crochet. Also along the way, I I found out my mom actually is very good at crocheting and just never taught me (laughs) or like never said anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how did you learn to crochet? Was it YouTube videos? Did you get a book, take a class?
2: It was YouTube videos and also the accidental discovery that my mom knows how to crochet because I was at one point I think I was visiting them and I was trying to learn how to crochet with videos and she was like what are you doing I'll just show you but but the issue I think is like she's so good at crochet that she'd be like just do this and be like I don't know what just happened (laughs) um so I still yeah really needed uh videos and she you know the wibbles Only makes plushies, little amigurumi. So she's never made stuff like that before either. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of like cobbling together like blog posts, following people on Instagram Mm -hmm. to find patterns that I liked or Pinterest and things like that. Mm -hmm. And kind of being confused about like, is this actually doable for a beginner? Like Mm -hmm. which of these things are simple things? And like, do I, do I really need to buy like this material? What's the difference between these types of hooks? How do you size things? It was very, confusing. Yeah. So my first project was a very ugly pot holder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I think a lot of times especially with amigurumi because they're meant for children, people feel like they can be made by children. Mm-hmm. Um or like they are for beginners because they're toys. But actually You know, they can be kind of complex to do. And it's difficult, as you said, to determine which of these is for a beginner Mm -hmm. if you're not really sure. And your kids are all for beginners. Yes.
2: Uh, we recently have introduced an intermediate line, actually. Oh, really? Okay. So we've got like a llama and a phoenix, uh, that are intermediate. Gertrude the llama.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you got interested in crochet, had your mom for some assistance. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it turns into a business, right? Because you wanted something that would be a hobby, take your mind off of work, give you something new to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did you feel like,
2: okay, actually, I want to turn this into something I'm going to sell? Yeah. Um, it was just very happenstance, honestly. Um, we, like, by the time I hit the end of my time at Google, I was kind of burnt out and just kind of like, I just want to do things that make me happy, whatever that, that may be. And at the time, it was like, oh, designing these cute little characters, that makes me happy. Because I've all, uh, I guess I left out when I was a kid also. I just, I love anything like cartoony and cute and things like that, even now. So I was like, I'm just going to do what makes me happy. Um, actually, both me and my husband quit our jobs around the same time and dabbled in a lot of other business ideas um, before stumbling on the Woobles, which was just like this side project for me at the time. Um, and... I think because we had dabbled in these other business ideas, we were able to tell that there was something really special about the Wobbles in terms of how customers reacted to the product or the business, the kind of feedback that we were getting, and then seeing how people, like, had an emotional reaction to it. So that is what gave us the confidence to be like, we should sit down and pay more attention to this. So, like, to give you examples of, like, the other businesses that we were, like, dabbling in at the time, it was like, um, like a tiny home vacation rental company, uh, uh, reusable PPE, because we had a friend who was a, a, like ER doctor mm-hmm. in the for the hospital that was like hit the hardest in New York um, when COVID started. And she was like, you guys are entrepreneurs, right? Like, can you help us make reusable PPE? Um, so, yeah, those are some of the other types of businesses that we were looking into.
0: Okay, so you knew you wanted to start a business and it was sort of just like landing on the one that you could see had that emotional reaction among users mm-hmm. and maybe there was other room for iteration or differentiation within the crochet
2: world. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, although it's funny because I feel like I never really had a moment where I thought that I want to run a business I don't like being in the limelight. I know ironic (laughs) as I am right here right now. Um, But like, I don't see myself as someone who actually enjoys being like, uh, well, I mean, I do love like running a business, but I guess like in my mind, if you had asked me Mm -hmm. like a few years ago, I'd be like, there's no way I'd be running a business. Like I have no ambition for that. Uh It's just, I think more for me, like the maker in me, like I just want to make stuff uh, and then it just so happens that I guess in a way now I view it as like making a business, especially this type of business where like you're making a product, um, is like the ultimate maker move. I think, <laughs> like everything. I think that's something great. we can all
0: relate to. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about building the brand part of the booballs, like coming up with the name, coming up with the aesthetic, um, the packaging, all of that piece of it because as we all know, and I, I don't have a kit in front of me, just my finished Google, but... Oh, there was one. <laughs> so they are... The uh, magic that's kit. That's one, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, well, thank you. So here's the oh. kit he came in, actually. Uh-huh. So you can see, it's so adorable. And um, I don't know, it's just something that you absolutely <laughs> want to, like, take off the shelf and buy for somebody
2: um, or for yourself.
0: So talk a little bit, yeah, just about the brand development.
2: Yeah. Well, the name actually came from my sister. Um, my sister is an English major, slash, is like very good with words, especially compared to me. And so the original Woobles that I had designed were our old intermediate line, which all are these like tubby, uh, like one continuous head, neck, body with like stumpy limbs and stuff. And they all fall down. So she was just like, they look woobly. I was like, exactly. <laughs> the Woobles. So that's where the name came from. Um, And then in terms of the brand development, I think it's just a bit of, like, uh, I view the Woobles as a bit of, like, an extension of me, of, like, the things that I value, the aesthetics that I like and things like that. So I wanted to make something that was fun and inspiring since I told you, like, the the real thing behind the Woobles is we like to say it's not about crochet. It's about confidence. And it's about reminding people that they still have it in them to learn something new. So it's, like, we want... The packaging and everything about it to reflect that as well so that when you see the packaging you know you're Mm -hmm. excited it makes you happy it's not like um i think i mean yes like crocheting and knitting and stuff is a relaxing thing to do Mm -hmm. but it's like given that the whole purpose of our company is to inspire people to like gain back some self-confidence we also need a brand that kind of visually reflects that as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So what do you see as the visual elements that reflect that so that somebody walks into a store or looks at them online and is like, oh, I can do this. This is approachable. This is something I can learn
2: no matter what age I am. Yeah, I think it comes down to, uh, I think one thing that I always stress is like, it needs to look simple. Like given that we are telling people it is simple, everything, everything about the experience has to be simple. First impression has to look simple as well. Um so like the packaging is like you see Sebastian the Lion mm-hmm. and you see your it like just tells you what it is and there's not that many more bells and whistles on it. Um also just the color scheme is all very like bright and popping, because it's like mm-hmm. hey, yeah, you can do it type of feeling.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so um I would love to talk a little bit about how you applied the concepts of user experience design. Um, As you said, it's kind of like architecture from your days at Google to the experience of the Wobbles because I think that that's a big part of why I had so much success here because I've tried to crochet in the past from patterns and things have gone terribly awry mm-hmm. after an initial enthusiastic start. And so, but it didn't happen here. Mm-hmm. And I think partially it seems like while I was going through it, it seemed to me like there had definitely been focus groups. Like there had definitely been information conveyed to you where you were watching people try to crochet from maybe a traditional pattern, um, which I had done, and then seeing where they got into trouble. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the hook went in between the twist of the yarn um, and they didn't realize it. Or like all these little tiny things that happen that then, as we all know, sort of compound and in the end you're like oh it's terrible and you give up so Mm
2: -hmm. yeah so to break down the user experience design process a bit more you can also kind of think of it as like the scientific method in the end so basically you one identify what the problem is that you want to solve for and then you do a bunch of background research to learn as much as you can about it before you then come up with some sort of hypothesis about it. Then you go test that out in as low fidelity a way as possible since, you know, time and money is precious. We don't want to be like spending all this time and money on all these things that if like, if we're solving the wrong problem or like not very clear about what kind of answer, uh, we're trying to like validate, then it just can blow up into something that you're not like being, you're not able to draw like valuable conclusions from. So you design some way so that you can like in the user experience world usually it's a, it's called a prototype so uh you just mock up basically a, a proxy of the experience or whatever it is that you're trying to test and then you take a look at that data and then you repeat the whole cycle again cuz chances are you did not get it right on the first time so you have to keep on doing it over and over again um so that's what the UX design process is like and i believe like you can apply it to everything like mm-hmm. in the way that i said that I never really saw myself or had this different idea of what it meant to be a business owner. In my mind, I feel like running a business is like applying this design process to everything. Cause you know, we're first time business owners, we don't know what we're doing really. Uh, And so it's like, you gotta just keep doing this process of essentially trying something possibly failing and then iterating and going again. Um so how that applies to the actual crochet instructions is you're right we did watch a lot of people learn how to crochet with like our initial attempts at the kits and so on um we listen to customer feedback we have different like surveys and forms that go out so we understand what people are saying about things but i do think watching people is the most helpful because a lot of times people are not able to verbalize what they're having trouble with, especially if it's something like they're trying to learn a new skill. And obviously, they don't have the vocabulary to know, like, is this called a hook or a needle? Like, they mm-hmm. say different things for that. So it's really helpful to actually just watch people and then slowly make all those tweaks. Um, and I guess also part of the user experience design process is to, uh, yeah, one, not just listen to what people are saying, but like watching what they're not saying, in a way. Hmm. Um, and then also just that you want to always think about even like the tiniest detail can matter the way that you, like the words that you use to instruct something or how much information you share at a certain point in time is all like, it all filters into the ultimate end experience. So everything can be extremely thoughtfully designed.
0: Absolutely. And, and I, I noticed that especially when I opened my kit and the magic loop is already done. So that's the hardest part, which I realized later when I had to do it again in order to make his little, like, cheeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was already done. So the hardest part is already done, which you might think, oh, that's sort of cheating, like they did the part in the beginning. But what it does is it allows you to just get started in the part that you're going to be able to do the best and be most successfully. And later you can go back and learn how to do the magic loop.
2: Yeah. So it all ties back to that we're trying to build people's confidence slowly. Mm-hmm. So like if you're given like the hardest thing or one of the hardest things. Right the off the of that. Yeah. Then it will be really discouraging. So. Mm-hmm. Instead, we figure out ways where it's like you learn stuff piecemeal until you start feeling confident about like your basic crochet skill. And then we introduce something that's harder. Absolutely.
0: Later. Cause I was so motivated. Like I, he was all done. I just needed to do the cheeks. I'm like, okay, at this point, I'm just going to learn.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it definitely worked.
0: Mm-hmm. So you can talk about a couple of the pivotal moments as you're building the bubbles, Like things that you remember that stood out to you as like this was a pivotal moment for us and, and kind of how that, how that affected it.
2: Yeah. I feel like we've had many pivotal moments. <laughs> lots of I feel very lucky that these uh, pivotal moments happen when they did at the same time we always like to say you got to put yourself in a position to be lucky and also you got to make sure that you then capitalize on those ap- opportunities that come so I think the earliest one the first one was only when we were like three months old um, a buyer from a really big company in Canada reached out she had seen our ads and she was like these are cute I would love to know how to put them in store and she reached out in October and we were like, what if she wants it in November? <laughs> uh, and like, and so we were like, shoot, we gotta like do everything we can to impress this person. Cause at, at the time we were like, we've only heard of this mystical beast that is wholesale. Um, and so we, um, at that time, we were still selling kits that were just in, like, cotton drawstring bags that were hand-stamped with our old logo and, like, hand-spun on, like, Sharpies and things like that. So we are like, okay, I don't know how we're going to fill this stuff either if, if she orders something. But we uh, stayed up until 4 a.m., like, designing dioramas. So we, like, attached some of our... Um, in fact, the very first hippo I ever designed, we attached it into the box, made all these like scenes out of paper and things like that so that she literally would have a great unboxing experience when she opened it to introduce the brand oh wow um and yeah send her a bunch of these kits and stuff like that um so that was a super pivotal moment because that also is what uh made us have to go move to the packaging that you see now Mm -hmm. where you're like there's no way Anyone will know what is in the bag that has just a hand stamped logo. Mm-hmm. We need to make packaging that, that, uh, stands out on the shelf. So. Um, yeah, that one was a... And did she place the order? She did place okay. the order, yeah, yeah. But it was for a year and a half later. Oh. But, okay. <laughs> but, but we at the time were like, what if she wants it next month? And how many can, like, I don't, I have no idea how right. many they would ever order and things like that. So, but yeah, we definitely were just like, of course we can make it happen. Mm-hmm. And we did make it happen, largely due to my husband. So thank you, husband. <laughs> um and another big moment, a similar uh, thing, the book. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a crochet pattern book called Crochet Amigurumi for Every Occasion. And um, the the reason why we have a book is one of our customers uh, turned out to be a book editor for Insight Edition slash Weldon Owen. Um, and she was like, yeah, we specialize in these, like, really high quality craft books. I think it would be great for your brand. At first, I was like, I don't know. It's like a lot of work. Like, I'm not sure we should do this. Um, and then, yeah, really quickly, she convinced me otherwise and we went down that rabbit hole. Um, it is a lot of work for anyone who is considering doing it. (laughs) Just FYI. Um, but that was also a really pivotal moment because I feel like that helped, um, Make the Wubbles a bit more of a brand. Cause up until that point, all we ever sold were just the crochet kits. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, now we have a book and now we sell the yarn separately and mm-hmm. things like that. So. Right. Exactly. Cause you have your own yarn, mm-hmm.
0: which is, um, it's sort of like, it's not twisted.
2: Yeah. It's a tub- tubular yarn. Right. So yeah. your hook can't get stuck. Exactly. Inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, it's bright colors. And yeah. So we call it easy peasy yarn. Uh huh. Right. And it has a pattern on the back. For an easy-peasy lemon squeezy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So if you're a Woobles super fan, you can get the book and yarn and just go for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On your own. Yeah. Without having to buy a kit. Yeah. And
2: then there's some people who also just don't want to, like people who already know how to crochet, Mm -hmm. don't want to get a kit, totally makes sense, Mm -hmm. just want the book. Or people who are like, I just want to learn from the book. Um, Which, again, since you mentioned the magic loop is quite difficult, so that's why we don't recommend (laughs) doing that Great. Yeah, do that from scratch, but... Some people are able to, so right. If you're
0: already there, um, yeah, no problem. Yeah, and I I have to imagine Shark Tank was a a pivotal
2: moment. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah, Shark Tank is another. This is why I say feel very fortunate that like a (laughs) lot of things came to us. So actually, we didn't apply to Shark Tank. The casting director reached out to us. And again, our initial reaction, I'm like, man, this makes this sound like not great. We're like, no, thanks. We don't want to do this. Because um, like I mentioned before, I'm not very into being in the limelight. Right? Like, I love the Woobles, the brand, but it's like, I don't want attention on me, the person. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> on me, the person. Um, but then after a while, we were like, you know, that's kind of unwoobly of this because the point of the wobbles is to push people outside of their comfort zones and encourage them to try new things. So we're like, all right, we might as well also just go for it. And, you know, in the same spirit of those other things that I told you about, mm-hmm. it was sort of like, we don't, we didn't want to close the door on an opportunity that had opened up. It's like, we could just like, let's just see how far we go because yeah. they're always telling you, like you can get cut at any time throughout the entire process. Um, but, we made it all the way through, which was great. Um, it was a very, a very interesting experience uh, and very limelight-like. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was definitely a pivotal moment. Um, I think mostly because it was really cool to see how after the show aired, we have a really active Facebook community. And there's a lot of people in there who I think have like been with us since really early on. We're only three years old, so I guess it's kind of like we're still early on, but just seeing the kind of support and the pride that they had to like see us on Shark Tank, it was really heartwarming, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And that community is really important. I think having a community as part of your brand mm-hmm. is an important piece. Do you feel like that's true?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, even today, I'm like, there are people in the community who've come up and I like, I love that. Like, I love that like a really big reason why when you asked about like how did we um know to or want to like pursue this full-time mm-hmm. is that emotional connection mm-hmm. that there's a lot of people who share their stories with us even privately um about like how the Wobbles has impacted their lives how like a lot of it ties to self-confidence or they were in a difficult time in their lives and then it helped like get their mind off of these things and so on. So that's definitely like a huge part of the rules. And in building a business, there's
0: always going to be stumbles, challenges, things that didn't go right. And I wondered if you wanted to share one or two of the harder moments because I think that from the outside when we look at a successful business we might think oh it's always smooth sailing and wow like look how amazing this is but we don't we aren't seeing
2: the back the back end of that and some of the more difficult moments that have happened yeah um, well I mean I think in general while it is exciting um, until like November last year my husband and I were very actively packing orders um, and so like very regularly. I think by that point maybe we're only going in on the weekends, but like only a few months before then, literally every single day. Right. So Mm -hmm. there's just this like physical grind to it. Yeah. Of um, like you gotta actually physically (laughs) ship out the kids, but then on top of that, do all the things that are involved with running the business on a non physical level. Um, which I think is something that is often overlooked in like the general public people are just like it just took off and it's like oh that took like you know seeing of- all the blood sweat and tears yeah <laughs> and then like roping in our parents to also do mm-hmm. that like every single weekend for hours right? mm-hmm. or like like my father-in-law every single day for mm-hmm. hours right um but then in terms of like a really Like catastrophic moment. One of the things that we did not know very much about when we started this company was quality control. How does one Hmm. actually like communicate quality control standards and, and like be able to, you know, for example, that pre-started magic loop. How do we make sure that it's done correctly? If somebody has to hand crochet that, that's, it's the only way to do it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the innocent me was like, We'll give them a video because we teach people how to crochet. You just give them a video. These people already know how to crochet. They're better crocheters than me. Like, it should be good to go and we'll make these kits. Um, the first order that we made was, like, thousands of kits. It was, like, totally unusable. We had to spend um, Thanksgiving break, me, my mom, and my mother-in-law, fixing all of these, like, opening all of them, fixing all of them, putting it back together. Um so, yeah, we learned over time how to communicate uh, and figure out, like, how to make sure the, the product was up to our standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like, you know, that was the whole huge battle, like, there. And then, like, a year later or maybe a few months later, at random, also, we have, like, a stitch markers in the yeah. kit. Um, and we were super excited because we were like, huzzah, Fred the Dino finally in this new packaging. Um you know again we've got we ordered like a whole bunch of them they come and then we find out that like during the transport the stitch markers if you were to open them which everyone's going to open them they just break and then we were like so the plastic
0: was brittle or something
2: yeah and this is like um, how do you catch that because right we then talk to like our supplier and it's like it has to do with the temperature right. drop on the plane <laughs> Right. And that it's makes like, sense. Yep. And it's like, dude, how would we catch that? Like, <laughs> It didn't happen before. Um, and now, again, like affecting thousands of things, like thousands of products. We need to then hire people. And they'd already been assembled. They've already the been kits. assembled. Yeah. But now we have to hire people
0: to like. And had you shipped everything. them out and somebody like a, a customer had been like, hey, they broke. Um, or you found
2: it before. We found it after shipping out a few dozen, I think, okay. because. Um, we were still at the time, like kind of paranoid about the magic loop not being perfect. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I would check. Right. And that's when I, at first it was like, oh, two, it happened to two of them. And I was like, it's Hmm. happening to all of them. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about audience growth? Because we've got lots of people here. You have a very large Facebook group. Um and you know, a lot of people now know about the boobles. So but that doesn't just happen just because you have cute packaging and a cute Sebastian the Lion. So how did this come about? Like how do you how do you build the audience for this?
2: Yeah. Um I feel like again, you gotta apply that UX design process, yeah. figure out like where you think people are are. For us, we're a completely online business and only starting to um I guess last year we opened up Fair, but I don't know, it feels like still pretty recent. <laughs> <laughs> It still feels pretty recent. I guess everything feels recent in my mind <laughs> related to this business. Um, but primarily an online, uh, business. So it's a matter of like, I would say my advice for people trying to like build a community for their business is focus on getting those first like five customers, uh, not like 100,000 customers. Cause the problem is, the problem is different at those different scales. And also, when you focus on getting, like, those initial customers, then you can talk to them. That's the most valuable thing, mm-hmm. I think. Like, when you're working with low numbers of uh, anything or people, like, it's the most valuable to really, like, hear their stories and understand, like, where they're coming from, why they wanted your product, like, what kind of stuff they're looking at normally. And, stuff. and are you
0: actually calling them on the phone?
2: I did talk to, yeah, to a bunch of people on the mm-hmm. phone. Um to find out how they found out about us and like what they, why they were using the woobles and Mm -hmm. what problems they had with the kid and things like that.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you bring groups? And you said you have, you have like, um, uh groups, user, you know, experience design groups that come together and you watch them crochet. So how are you assembling those groups? I'm curious, like are you like finding customers, random people on the street, or like is there like an agency you can call to find like a group of crocheters to come over or no, how are you we, making that happen? We literally
2: reach out to customers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We uh yeah, we ask people. Now I guess we also are able to do it through Facebook. It depends, I guess, on what we're studying, mm-hmm. right? Like if it's something like we want um, to understand the first time experience, like the first time beginner experience, uh, we like to actually watch people who are actually first time beginners. So we probably can't ask a customer. Right. Because they're, right. They're already interested in crochet. They're already trying it. Yeah, yeah. They already tried it. So in that case, it's like kind of leveraging our personal networks to be like, do you happen to know anyone who it's wants-? never crocheted? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, we can't, we also, yeah, have asked our customers to be like, do you know anyone who doesn't know but wants to learn? Mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, it's like truly emailing mm-hmm. our customers if we want one-on-one time. I'm a big proponent on one-on-one time with people because I think with focus groups, it's harder to keep track of everything and also people like kind of bias each other.
0: Right. So if the vibe is like positive, everybody's positive, or if somebody's like really frustrated, then everybody feels frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of us who maybe haven't had focus groups or the opportunity to do that, although it's a great idea, um, being a teacher... Uh, it kind of gives you that same experience. So if you teach your craft, you sort of watch people in the class try to, you know, try to do it and you learn a lot from that. The questions they ask, the things that they, while your back is turned, they do wrong. And then you come back and you're like, Oh, that was the wrong thing that you, you know, so you sort of get it that way. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of us who sell products or kits, we've developed them sort of in that way, um, because of teaching. But if you don't teach or you just want more, um, more data, then maybe calling people or sitting next to people while they're while they're working on it, um, kind of like when they're work while they're going through your website and seeing what they click on and mm-hmm. what they think it's all about, and and it's sort of the same the exactly. same kind of approach, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I was really mm-hmm. struck that like very few craft companies I feel like are going through that process, but it's something that we all could do and we all could learn from. So um, I I think that's that's sort of brilliant. So mm-hmm. what sort of advice would you give to somebody who's brand new, you know, who's just sort of Starting out in the craft business, maybe this is their first trade show. They're here for the first time, just kind of getting the lay of the land, um, but has some ideas and wants to sort of begin um, creating a craft business. Yeah,
2: um, my advice would probably be one: you got to look for product market fit. That's like the the biggest thing. Like try to make something that people actually want and. The way you gauge it, don't show it to like your family and friends because they're going to be like really encouraging and be like, of course, of course I want that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I say this also from a more businessy side. Like I feel like we encounter a lot of businesses where it feels like um, they're making a product that uh, in some sense is like a, a bit of like lipstick on a pig, like you you got to take it one step further and like actually help with someone's need of what it may be. Um, so yeah, once you find product market fit, that's like going to be obvious, but it is also hard to get to that point. So, um, just be aware that it is a grind, right? You are going to encounter a lot of failure. Um, but I would encourage you not to think of it that way and instead think of it more as like, It's something that you've learned, right? Like you went down that road and it didn't work, which means, okay, you can cross that one off the list and now you can focus on. Like you probably learned something along the way about why it didn't work. That's the most important thing. And that's another key part of the UX design process. Mm -hmm. Like you are trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work, but regardless of if something is considered a success, what's most important is that you understand why why something was a success or not a success. So Mm -hmm. then you can keep going and keep Mm -hmm. improving on stuff. So I guess that's my biggest advice, just like know that it is gonna be a grind, it is gonna be tough, but like you will get there. Like if you're if you keep on doing this process of trying things out and then trying to learn from them and then adjusting accordingly, you will get to
0: that point. Can we dig a little deeper about what is product market fit? Because I do think that's a step people skip over. They're like, I love making this. Everybody seems to like it. And my family or my friends all want one. Mm-hmm. So that must be a business. You know, that must mean that I have a business here. I can make this into something. But sometimes it, it means um, changing the materials you're using, changing the look of the thing because it's not quite right. Like, what does that actually mean, product market fit? And how do how do you
2: search that out? How do you seek that out? Hmm. I th- For us, I feel like the biggest signal for us was the, um, like the direct messages and the emails that we got from people. Uh, obviously, yes, there's like sales data. That's how you would figure out, like, is this something that's attractive? But I think it's probably a bit hard to tell if you're starting from nothing, right? And it's just like, well, any money that you're making is good, right? Like, it's really hard to tell that this thing is better than something else, which is also part of why I think It was sort of helpful that we had tried all these other business ideas and Mm kind of got a sense from there just like relative to each other the demand on things but for us i think the really telling part was the uh, fact that people were not just leaving positive reviews that are public which is like again kind of like a thing that in my mind you can view as like sort of bias because it's like of course we love positive reviews but it's also being left to help like with our sales in the end, right? Mm-hmm. Versus people who are just emailing us or Instagram DMing us about their stories where it's like there is no purpose to them sharing that other than to share their story mm-hmm. with us because it actually made a big impact and a big emotional connection. Um, so I think that was a really, really big signal for us to understand that like this is product market fit. It's mm-hmm. like I personally have never emailed a company to be like, this was like super life-changing in some way. So that's why we knew. Right, right. And what about, I mean, you were talking
0: earlier about confidence and the um, importance that crochet played in helping you to rebuild your confidence when it was low and that you see that happening For other people as well. But as a business owner, there can be other confidence blows, right? As you're talking about people who leave positive reviews, then there's people who leave negative reviews. No matter how amazing the product is, somebody's not going to like it. Um, or email you or, or DM you and say negative things. And sometimes it's, they're kind of hurtful. That person's having a terrible day and they wrote something hurtful to you. Um, and, and, you know, you're on the recipient end of that and you're seeing all of them. And sometimes it can be, it can be hard to to handle, and then your confidence can be shot again. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on how to sort of handle... Because, you know, you this is your baby. Like, you love this brand. You've put so many hours into it. And then for somebody to be so, like, negative, you know, you get that one-star review, and it can really make your whole day terrible. So how yeah. are you handling that?
2: Yeah, that definitely is something I struggled with a lot more in the beginning. And, I mean, to be honest, I still do. Like, it still does hurt. You know, the double-edged sword is... Yeah, that there's always going to be people who aren't happy, like who say something bad. Um, but then my husband always loves to remind me, he's like, but look at all, all the positive the good things. things. Right. He's like, right. why are you fixating on yeah. just that mm-hmm. one? Right. And he's like, look at all these people who like, who you've helped otherwise. I think that is one good way to look at it. And also I feel like it's actually only until very recently, I think that I finally like am more at peace with the fact that like, haters gonna hate like it's just Mm -hmm. gonna be like there's gonna be there's always just gonna be someone who is like a Debbie Downer and that's just like Mm -hmm. the reality of things so it's not worth like your time or your mental health or your energy to get really torn up about that uh, just like keep focusing on the positive. That said, if it's gonna, if it's like a lot of people complaining right. about the same thing, then like that is probably something that you should look into mm-hmm. uh, and like try to fix. But right, because uh, sometimes
0: the feedback is valuable, and then other times it's just yeah, somebody being just negative like yeah. for being negative sake. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Well, I would love to open it up to questions. I'm sure there's gotta be good questions out there because this has been such an interesting conversation so far, and there is a microphone right over there traveling and so i see some questions and we'll get to, try to get to all of them thank you
1: oh. hi there my name stephanie i run a kit company in the uk um, oh. called hawthorne handmade it's been amazing watching your journey it's really inspiring um and my mind has just gone absolutely blank as to what question i was just going to <laughs> <on>. ask <laughs>
2: That's just fangirling happening right there. <laughs> you, oh, God, it really has. I'm going to pass it on somehow. Okay, awesome. Come well, back to you me. Back. There we go. I just said, hey, that was it. Go back we'll to come you. back to you, don't worry. <laughs> Thanks for coming from the UK.
1: <laughs> Good morning. My name is Lynette, and I'm curious what drives your passion now? When you described your journey, you said, I started this as a result of the stress from something else. So that drove you to the activity. Mm. How do you keep the drive going when you're doing fulfillment and you're working 18 hours a day Mm. and then you have to turn around and look at a negative review or (laughs) you got to figure out how to box something else because it didn't work or something breaks. All of those things take a part in what you're doing, so I'm curious if you would share how you drive your passion now yeah great question
2: is an excellent question <laughs> and it sounds like you speak from experience <laughs> um yeah i definitely think you know the flip side of the negative customer reviews and stuff the thing that keeps me going is the positive customer feedback um and really feeling like we're doing something that's really helping people um so yeah especially when it's like you know it's like why am i doing like why am i slaving away at this thing like it's because like there's someone out there whose life is being really impacted by what you're doing and i actually remember the moment that i first had that thought where i was like this is like the ultimate maker experience because i think it was like a person who said they lived in California and like we're we're on the east coast we live in north carolina and so it was like this person posted a picture of like sebastian the lion and they're like i'm in, and they're from north uh from california and that they were saying like i never crocheted before but look at what i made and it was just very mind blowing to me to be like I taught, I taught them how to crochet they made they made this thing i never interacted with them mm-hmm. and then like now that they're leaving this uh review That was super motivating.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I think the other thing that is helpful, too, is that I think when you're in it, like when you are actively in running your business, you get really sucked up into the day-to-day. And then you don't realize that stuff is changing and stuff is getting better. um, Or like your responsibilities are changing a little bit over time. And so sometimes you got to like take a step back and be like, look at everything that I accomplished. Like last year was pretty different from this year. Um, and like, look at what I'm doing now, and I think that kind of recognition that progress is happening helps mm-hmm. as Can I ask well. A question? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Sorry, I'm gonna take the moment. <laughs> if nobody else wants to ask. I'm gonna take the moment. Um, so, how did you know when to scale up? Were there factors, indicators, was anything stood out? Anything that was small that you overlooked, and when you look back, you realize, oh, this is why I decided to take it to Shark Tank, even though I know you said no the first time, or this is why three months in, even though we didn't get their order the first three months, you know, for the next month, Mm -hmm. this is what made me, this is what was the driver or the activity behind that.
2: Mm -hmm. I think for us, um, it's just driven by the demand. We were like forced to... Scale up because there was demand, and then we just had to figure out a way to fulfill the demand. So I guess I didn't get to talk about this, but like when we first started selling kits, we literally wound yarn on sharpies, and then we were like, "Wow, this is going to take forever! Like we can't do this." Uh, so then we invested in like, and then we were like, "Oh, there are manual yarn winders." We were like, "This is great! It's mind blowing." <laughs> My dad was so into it; he was like, we, "He would be like, I'm going to count 43 spins or whatever." Like all day, every day. Uh, and then that still wasn't enough. So then we had like, uh, like pedal powered or no, at the time it was like a switch powered yarn winder. And we were like setting like timers to to do that. My dad was like, this isn't funny anymore. What's the, <laughs> what's the craft in it now? Um, and like pedal powered stuff. And then we even at some point invented like, um, my husband invented like these, they look like windmills. Um, because we have small bits of yarn in the kit, like to make, we only need like a little bit of white yarn mm-hmm. to make the mouth, uh, the snout for Sebastian. So we would invent like contraptions like that. So we could cut like things really easily instead of literally going like this to yarn <laughs> for hours. So it was just a matter of like necessity, basically. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I've remembered my question. yay! Oh. It leads on quite well from what you were just saying.
2: It was, you said, obviously, you've been making all the kits up till last year. I'm interested as to how your team's grown. Who do you have around you? Have you built kind of that team out around you now, and like, how is that growing? Yeah. Um, yeah, it ties into the other question, too, also, in terms of, like, there every year I feel like the challenges that we face are really different, um, and we finally, like, I feel like made it out of the production weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now the focus for this year is building a team and building systems. So it's more sustainable and not like wholly reliant on me and my husband, mm-hmm. especially because we're going to have a baby in like two months and Yay! who knows what's going to happen. Right? <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so now we have like eight people, including us in corporate Uh, And then we have a lot of like contractors and freelancers we work with a lot of times, how big the team is depends on the season as Mm -hmm. well. But yeah, building a team is definitely a huge focus this year. Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm. Hello, my name is Melanie. Um, I work at a local yarn store. Um, I know that you sell on fair for like wholesaling and everything would you ever consider putting the actual easy peasy yarn into an mm-hmm. LYS? <laughs> um, that's question number one. And then question number two is I've taught a lot of people how to do the Oh, I've had several private lessons. I have several people bring them in. Um, and they're always asking, well, if I buy the extra yarn, how do I get the eyes? What do I get? How?" Do- mm-hmm. I have a lot of people requesting like, does Woobles sell an eye pack? Mm-hmm. Would that be something
2: possible down the road? Yeah. So those are my two questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would always love to have more product assortment. We actually, someone else was just asking us as well about uh, having easy peasy yarn in retail stores. Yes, we definitely want to. Uh, First step is we actually don't even sell it on our own site right now because of some logistical snafus. You can complain to my husband about all these things. Um, So yeah, when when these things get sorted out, then uh, yes. Um, and yeah, in terms of like the other crochet notions and things like that, we're always listening to customer feedback and taking into account to figure out what else should we make next. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Okay. Hi, my name is Bethany and I am a mindfulness shop that
3: actually sells DIY kits for the purpose of relaxing.
2: Um, and so I'm pre open um and here to network and just find products for my shop so when you were talking about product fit how do I do that without really being in the community I'm also new to my town Mm -hmm. how do I find that without knowing my community I know me and I know what I want to project forward Mm -hmm. um so what is your advice for that Mm-hmm. That is an interesting question. And I feel like you're at a great place to ask that question to other people who own uh, physical stores as well. It's a different beast than what we work with. Um, I feel like I would, if I were in your shoes, I would try to talk to people in the town that you're in, uh, figure out what kind of, it's probably like, maybe too too aggressive to go up to random people's doors and be like, "Hello, I'm new here and please talk to me. Oh, excellent. So then you already uh, yeah are doing this and already know how to do it. I think about um, for example, at some point like we were new to like the community that we lived in for a few months last year and there was like a Facebook group. Um, so that's actually I, th- I think I posted in there once to be like, does uh, anyone want to learn how to crochet? Can I watch you? Like I live here. Like um, <laughs> I'm not a rando. Like, I think that's helpful to so just find like any online community that is actually mm-hmm. representative of your physical nearby community. Um, there's another UX design thing we used to do <laughs> at Google too, called a cafe study. So mm-hmm. like you literally just set yourself up at a cafe with like a sign. And you're like for 15 minutes. Talk to me or do whatever, like something, whatever, whatever it is, um, to try to flag people down who are just wandering into the cafe. So, those are some ideas that come to mind of like how you would find out what your community is looking for.
0: You're welcome. Okay. Great question. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Well, I- <laughs> you you have great questions. Well, we got one more Here, so. more oh, there's one behind. <laughs> there's one behind you first. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm curious if your background with Google have you fallen back on that and use any of the Google tools now oh. as a business owner to help either understand your business or grow your business? Yeah. Or other sure. online tools that you rely upon? Yeah, for sure. Uh as being a primarily online business, always using tons of online tools. Um the default stuff because I had only ever worked at Google. Um in terms of like productivity tools, I'm all about using Google stuff. So Gmail, calendar, uh Google Docs, things like that. I do really especially now that we're building out an in-house team, I'm, like getting those type of productivity kinks out of the way is really key. Um, cause it did make me realize during my time at Google, like you pretty much never spent any time figuring out like the project management side of things or like the productivity side of things. It's like everyone just could work. They were unblocked. They could just do whatever the work was, um, which is something I feel like I took for granted then. And I'm like, oh yeah, you actually, actually like build that, um, mm. in, in a business, um, And we have tried using other tools as well. Um, other Google tools that we use, Google Analytics, of -hmm. course, to understand, like, where the site traffic's coming from, who the, like, demographics and things like that. Do you you still have friends with Google Analytics? Can you please tell them to (laughs) stop (laughs) fixing? For real? Yeah. They're moving over to GA4. Um, yeah. But it's funny because I think, like, during my time in Google, I don't know. It's very different being like a business owner using the tools. Like I didn't use those tools when I was at Google, aside from like the productivity stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of tools. Lots of other analytic tools as well. Um, like for example, there's like alternatives to Google Analytics are also things like Triple Whale, Northbeam, things like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Hi, Hello. I'm Suzanne, nice to meet you. you so why, why little critters versus like scarves or throw pillows? Like Ooh. what made you
2: choose this? Yeah. I mean, you, I don't know if you're, you weren't pregnant at the time, so you weren't thinking, kit? No. <laughs> But I mean, selfishly, I alluded to it when I when I was younger, and I even now I still just love cute things, so it's just very like at some point, I wanted to be an animator, I wanted to uh, like be a cartoonist and stuff, so I just naturally have a soft spot for softies <laughs> um, so that was why we went with that, and I also feel like they stand out also more. It's mm-hmm. very distinctive of like that's a woble. Mm-hmm next one (laughs) hi I'm Laura I'm um, from Murrow, Michigan and I was excited to be able to get them in my my shop from the FAIR website so that was amazing and I appreciate that because I know you have lots that you do (laughs) so to be able to get some of them in the shop is amazing so you because you've grown and you are the one that is the one that designs, do you still make all of the new ones oh, no. and design all of them, or do you have a team that does it? Now we have a team. Yeah, <laughs> I can't keep up. Can't keep up. We release too many new designs. So, and I am also under no impression that I am such a great prolific designer. Um, so we have, yeah, we definitely have a team to help with that.
1: Mm-hmm. Good question. Hi, I'm Lynette, again. (laughs) I was just curious if you would share uh, any tips for the financial side. We always talk about all of these other things, like it pays for itself, or you've already told us you're not independently rich. You look it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was just curious. I'll share a little bit of my own personal story. I, I have a vision for a plan and a project. And when I went to begin the search for financing, one of the things that they Wanted me to do is, well, you own your own home. Um, I'm almost free and clear. And they were like, maybe you should consider putting that up. And I haven't done anything else with it because that's a challenge for me to overcome. So I was wondering if you would share Mm -hmm. some financial tips. Maybe you can make me say that I'm going to go back and sign my home. I doubt (laughs) it. (laughs) I'm open to the idea and I'd be curious if you'd share.
2: Yeah. That is a very good question. Uh, to be honest, my husband is the finance guy. Um, but uh, our perspective on things, we're a completely bootstrap business. We have no investors. Um, and so we really believe that if you don't need to take the money, you shouldn't take External money because it adds all this pressure, like one to pay it back, but then two now if it's like an investor, which I guess is different from this situation where they're, I mean, but it's your home. I'm like that's big. <laughs> that's even bigger in my mind. <laughs> yeah, that's an important <laughs> thing in one's life. Um, but for yeah, for investors too, you know, like then I think a, or a lot of reason why we made our own business is we wanted to create something that we <laughs> wanted to create. And then if you take outside money, it now becomes like, well, now you also need to make something that somebody else also uh, wants. And it kind of, at least for me, takes the fun out of it. Um, so as much as possible, we, you know, anytime anyone asks us about business stuff, we're like, don't take external money if you can avoid it. Um, I would say the way around it is obviously there are certain businesses where you do need a lot of capital, um, to be able to start it but if there's any way that you can think of to prototype the experience with a lot less money then go for that so that's the whole user experience design process mm-hmm. um, so whatever it is that you're selling like do you actually that because that's also always the danger you don't want to like give up your home and then find out after the fact that mm-hmm. like it didn't work so is there something that could be like a proxy for what you are actually trying to sell or test um, that only takes, like, m- like, much less, like, hundreds of dollars instead of thousands of dollars, uh, and then try that out first. Yeah.
3: I kind of have a question piggybacking off of that one. How do you deal with the knockoff market? like strawberry, I think the axolotl, and apricot, the axolotl, which I would really like to get those kits. Um, Though your images of that um, item are on Amazon for a knockoff kit for, you know, 12 bucks. How do you deal with that kind of thing and still be super profitable, I guess, kind of going after her question?
2: Yeah, that's also something my husband has the pleasure of dealing with. Um, I mean, that is a recent thing that has popped up and we do have lawyers now to help with that. Um, it's this, like, unfortunate fine line of also, like, how exact a copy is. For example, there is a company that very aggressively takes our actual ads on Facebook and then just literally puts their logo on top of our logo in the videos. (laughs) Yeah, which is very frustrating. So, but when things are like that, that's, like, much easier to get taken care of in a way because it's, like, so obviously um, using our IP, basically. Um, but I think, like, the way we approach it is sort of, like, again, there's always going to be some amount of that. Like, we can't control all these People, We can't control the world like that. So we just got to focus on the bigger picture and keep moving forward instead. So like, yes, we are doing things to keep that at bay, but it's not like we fixate on that and make that the focus because then it would hamper us from growing the business in the other way, which is like, well, if we just uh, do better as a business and like have more customers and stuff, then we'll be in a better position. And people will know that like the Wobbles is the, the real deal and not this knockoff.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there was one more. back. There. One last question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is very
2: product specific. Uh, have you and/or would you consider developing kits solely to be sold wholesale through independent retailers? Mm-hmm. Different, whatevers. Yeah, I have. Yeah, we have not yet heard that requests before it would be awesome we have heard of requests for exclusive kits yeah um, but mm. we haven't explicitly yet we ha- no one's ever asked of like stuff that's just for wholesale yeah that's definitely an interesting idea it's for- just a you know like a different revenue stream something that would allow those of us sitting in this room to be like yes we have sebastian the lion but we also have
1: hmm.
2: you know whoever the next great big thing is yeah. Interesting. yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. For sure. I mean, we're always listening to feedback, so it's always a, a okay. question of like, if enough people request and, and we see that like it does work out business wise, then we'll, it's something we'll always want to pursue. I think we're always in a position where it's like, yeah, we want to do everything, but we just don't have enough time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Justine, thank you so much. This has been fabulous, and I, Super appreciate you sharing your expertise, your story with all of us. And um, you know, if there's other questions, I'm sure you'll be here for a few more minutes afterwards, so please come on up. But thank you all for your great questions and for coming.
2: Thank you.